Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross. Um the still most junior member of BBC's Test Match special commentary team out here in Karachi, having watched an historic England series win. And I'm joined today by his greatness, his bistrack suited, a kind of, <laughs> well, two pound shot Brian Clough, the puff pastry hangman himself. It's Rory Dollard. You can't, Hello, get, anything Rory. For, can't get anything for two pounds anymore in the pound shop. Inflation <laughs> is going mad. Well, I can't wait to get back to England and find out all about it. Well, today, <laughs> you will be very, very much unsurprised to know that we are going to be discussing an extraordinary, remarkable, historic series win for England in Pakistan. I'm going to be looking firstly at the third test. We're then going to be looking in a bit more depth at the stokes McCullum partnership and how they have transformed English red ball cricket. And then, what does it mean? What does it mean for the future? I, we will look at the Ashes, but we're also going to look at at New Zealand, because we've been told to by Brendan McCullum. We've got to look only at the next challenge. And that's all part of it, Rory. Let's kick off with what we should be first looking at. As, as Brendan McCullum said, we've got to be looking at how England have just won. And what a win it was. I mean, it, the first two wins were emphatic in their own ways. But I guess because of the nature of England's second innings and Multan, and because of the funky nature of the declaration, because they're running out of time in, in Royal Pindi, the margins of victory were really, you know, quite slender. But once England came here to Karachi, they have won a, a test match in Karachi in three days and 38 minutes by eight wickets. And you're shaking your head, and so am I. What the hell just happened? Well, they keep confounding every sense of cricketing logic, every expectation. But if ever there was a team in a moment that was built for a free hit. By God, it was this team, isn't it? And they won the series 2-0, and they had a team who loved to lean into the skid and just loved to drive fast on a country road where the hedges haven't been clipped back, and they don't know what's coming around the other corner, and they just want to put the foot down, and they'd already won the series. Like, this is a team that was built for this moment, just to go out, with with almost nothing on the line, and they, they they were pure. It was almost the Stokes McCullum thing purified and distilled down to its most basic thing, which was go out, be fun, make 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 a few memories, win a game of cricket, do it with an eighteen year old. We 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 have we have the remarkable privilege on this tour of being with the England team. Um, I say remarkable privilege. It means that the the lovely games room that I had my eye on when I checked it out online, this this uh, this hotel has been out of bounds because I've been taking it. Yeah, mm. but other than that, it's been great to be able to spend a little bit of time with. Spend a bit of time with with Brendan and Paul Collingwood, and the message that was coming through loud and clear was 
well, we've won the series. Now we're going to go out. We're going to win this game. We're going to win it as quickly as humanly possible. <laughs> These are just attitudes that that boggle the mind. And uh, to put it into context, at the beginning of the third day, Pakistan, you may recall, were just 29 runs behind. They were 21 without loss. So 20 wickets had fallen in two days. Brendan said, Half the cost. said to Alex Hart, said to Alex Hartley, actually, but um, uh, she read it to me. We're going to win it today. That was the third day. We're going to win it today. Now, I'd, like, okay, Brendan. So, how does this work? So, you're going to bowl out Pakistan on a pretty flat deck. There's a bit of turn in it, but it wasn't an extravagant turn. You've got a left arm spinner who is the leading wicket taker in the world this season, but in large part because he's played more tests than anyone else, averaging nigh on 40. You've got a, the youngest man ever to play test cricket for England who is look, a really great prospect, but he's bowling the hardest thing for anyone to bowl, leg spin, on a pitch that was not ragging against the top order that, let's face it, has not been that shabby. Abdullah mm. Shafiq, very fine batter, averaging, you know, high 80s or whatever it is, crazily in his test career. Barber Azam, Mohammed Rizwan, Saud Shaquille. These are fine players. Azar Ali playing in his last test match. Hugely and, and motivated not, in Karachi. And not, play, not players who are noted for being spooked by spin. Absolutely not. In addition, they've rested James Anderson because you need a couple of months off before you go to New Zealand, who has been a really important component part of their seam bowling attack, which Mm. has been very potent out here in Pakistan. So you're going to bowl them out today and then you're going to knock off whatever is left. Well, they didn't quite manage it, but my God, they gave it a damn good go. So... Needing 167 with an hour and 15 minutes to go. And I can assure you in Karachi, it was going to be an hour and 15 minutes because the light descends. Mm. We all know, well-worn cliche, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing how quickly the light falls in Karachi or in Pakistan. So they were, they'd set they were talking, about, they were talking about the extra half hour like it was a real concept that, that might be activated yeah. at some point. <laughs> I can't forget Unfortunately, it the laws of astrophysics seem to have gone out of the window there. But... To do that, and I contrast this with two, two I think, really interesting precedents from recent history. The first one is obviously Lords in 2021 when they turned down the opportunity to chase mm. 270 and 75 overs and ended 170 for three or whatever it was. Mm. And the other one is, Abu, is um, Abu Dhabi back in 2012 when faced with a chase of 140, they were bowled out for 72 and 36 overs. Now, 167 yeah. could be a tricky chase against Abra, good bowler, yeah. Naman Ali, good bowler, on a pitch that wasn't ragging, but it's turning a bit. Mm. And if you're going to lose a game of cricket from that position, you're going to lose it by trying to score 167 in an hour and a quarter, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. But in fact, the logic was so manifestly clear in what they did. First ball, smashed down the ground for four. Duckett's whacking it everywhere. At the end of the power play, as one wag said, England were 58 for none of six overs. And actually, you started to see, well, more than started to see, you realise the plan in action is totally logical because those spinners suddenly had nobody around the bat. There were no bat pads to be taken. The only way they were going to get you out was caught in the deep, bowled having a slog, maybe LBW. And all the momentum shifted back to England on what might have been a tricky run chase, and they won at an absolute canter. So, do you know, it may look crazy to me and to everybody watching, but it's actually based on utterly sound cricketing logic, isn't it, Rory? Yeah, so this is the thing. They're not throwing 
logic out. They're not throwing logic out of the window, which is what it threatened to look like at times because we we hadn't caught up yet. They're just redrawing the lines. They're they're having a look and saying maybe these percentages, because people talk in sport about playing the percentages. They're just looking at them and going, I think they need updating. I think we, I think we haven't updated the percentages for a while. And they, they look a little bit different to what you all think they look like. Now, I've, I've been on England tours in the past where it gets to the last game of the series and England look like they're trying to get home in a hurry. But usually it's the other way around. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, usually they've got their eyes on the departure lounge, but they don't have the series trophy with them when they get there. <laughs> so to to be sort of sprinting for the exit door with three nil on the table, this has been this has been a, a profound. I mean, I'm gutted that I missed it. I should have been out there. Really, I had to I had to withdraw from this tour because it looks like. It looks like this is going to be a tour we reference. It's going to be a touchstone because it's almost more uh, impressive, more resolute than the way they played in the summer because that, and I've said this before, that felt like they were just having a go and seeing if it stuck. This is like, it's crystallized and it's become clear and and they all appear to be to be signed up and signed in. I mean, we've barely mentioned Rayan Ahmed amazingly because he's the story of the day but i mean if there was a moment a single moment that summed up this thing over the last nine months of english cricket it was rian ahmed walking out at number three that was the moment it was like and and it was it was wild it was preposterous it was uh like charismatic it was magnetic it was sexy and i got about a dozen texts on my phone from people saying, knew they were going to do that. Because now people have caught up. This thing's been going on for a little while, and it's been catching people cold, and now it's not. People, people thought there was a good chance they would send 18-year-old debutant Riyad Ahmed out to bat at three to win the test match. And they did. And do you know, again, it had some logic to it in the context of the match. Um, just where to where to begin with the game itself? It was not pindy, but nothing's going to be pindy. You have to play on the flattest deck on earth mm-hmm. to be getting five hundred and four for five hundred six for four in seventy five overs. But England still went at a good lick. Um, they, they used Rahan Ahmed in such a an intriguing way in the second innings. We were all looking around, going, "When's he coming on? When's he coming on?" And yeah. the, the sort of the bowling changes were inverted from the first innings, where England had bowled out Pakistan on the first day, which felt like a really big bonus, helped, I have to say, by a couple of poor shot selections, the big run out of Barber Azam. When that match started, the pitch was as flat as anything. It started to get a bit more uh, fancy for the spinners around about the tea interval on the, on the first day. Then the spinners came into their own. In, the, uh, in Pakistan's second innings, in a sort of inverse of holding off Robinson and Anderson so much later and going hard with spin with the hard new ball, Stokes did well. I mean, yes, all right. So he he did open the second day, the third day rather, with Root, which mm. we're starting to get entirely used to now, uh, of course. Uh, but there were seamers on all the time. Wood bowled two spells. Robinson bowled Stokes finally out of nowhere. Okay, why, why is he bowling? Why isn't Rehan bowling? He picked up two handy wickets in the first innings. Mm. 
Rayan waited and waited and waited and waited. And just at the point that it felt that, you know, Pakistan are now borderline on top, that fourth wicket partnership, mm. lead of 100 and something, a low hundreds with three wickets down. Barber in, uh, Shaquille looking really solid. Come on, son. Picks up three wickets in 17 balls, including Barber, Rizwan and Saud Shaquille. Yeah. Won the game in a stroke. And so, of course, you send him out on that last evening. He's brimming with confidence. The story's all about his dad, who was on the balcony beside us, in tears for much of it, as you can imagine, swelling with pride. And he's so full of beans. Send him out. And it was hilarious to watch. First ball, dance down the track, whack for four. Uh, and in between shots, he was he was playing these shots as he was dancing down the wicket. He was practising other shots. The, the joie de vivre, the kind of... Uh, the just the, the total joy of existence was manifest all over his face and he was emblematic really of the team and their performance and it's not because you know they want to get out of Pakistan because you wouldn't send your mother-in-law there or, or you would send your mother-in-law there depending on you know mm. whatever Botham's quote was it's not that it was that let's let's finish off this job let's get it done and the best way to get it done is to get it done quickly. And it mm. was it was joyful. I mean, a couple of words from you, surely, on Harry Brook again. Yeah. It is Pakistan. All of his most notable performances for England have come in Pakistan. But in fairness, he's basically only played one test outside Pakistan yeah. and is batting at what number five in the T20 <laughs> side with a good top order. So, you know, it's very hard to tell if there's yeah. anything wrong with his game outside Pakistan because it's very, very good in Pakistan. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, me and myself and Jared did a big deep dive on Harry Brook uh, somewhere on on this feed. You can find it. I ended that episode with an outrageous <laughs> load of hyperbole about how he was everyone's best cricketer rolled into one. But he looks a little bit like he might be. Um, and we can talk a little bit maybe in section three when we talk about the future, about how it stacks up. But he's not going anywhere. He He was... He was in this team because of circumstance and injury and good luck to the man who takes the takes the sort of party away from him because he's the heart and soul of the party right now. He is, if they're looking to play this style, don't look beyond Harry Brook. He's got everything. Player of the series. Well, Amazing. He is. He is with three centuries in three matches. An incredible start to his career, and it's the way he's done it. It's not just been because the pitches have been easy. Uh, there's more to it than that. It's uh, it, it, his fluency, his timing, and the way he learns from his mistakes. When he hold out yeah. in the first innings, at Multan just came straight back, understood what he needed to do right rather than wrong. Uh, I love that. In he's a, he's a twenty well, he's gonna... a twenty three year old kid from down the road here for me, and his least remarkable chapter of this winter is that he won the T20 World Cup in the hardest white ball team in the world to break into. That's the least interesting thing he did this winter. <laughs> he also gives a great interview. He said that this was the best tour he'd been on. Yeah, well, I, heard that. I suppose I suppose it's, it, it probably beats the seven-match bilateral T20 uh, one, and, yeah. and um, then it beats winning the World Cup. That's quite a big <laughs> ask, but he's had his only test tour to date. So, yeah. And he said he was going to go home for Christmas. He said to eat some food, actually, to eat lots of food, which <laughs> I thought was a great thing. And and was slightly symptomatic of where this team is at now. They're not worried about whether 
the press will go, oh, what are you talking about? You're a professional sportsman. You can't go around talking about filling yourself with food. You're, you're getting paid to be fit. He doesn't care. And none of them care. Uh, what matters is the currency of winning. And they are the winning East England team for a long, long time. We're going to take a short break. After that, we're going to talk about the man, maybe the men, that have made this extraordinary new era possible. Ben Stokes and a bit of Brendan McCullum. I'm Neil Manthorpe, one half of South Africa on 99.94 with Lungani Zama. We're covering the Rainbow Nation as it undergoes its biggest transition since readmission. We cover every part of the South African game on 99.94 and you can hear us several times a week where you find your podcasts or on YouTube. So back to Ben Stokes. Quick word on his interview, close play. And Simon Mann asked him, you know, were you really happy to be out there at the end? And he looked at Simon and said, well, what? What, what, what difference does that make? <laughs> and that is, that's the thing about Stokes here. There is none, none of this misty-eyed journalistic romance that we bring into it. Was it great to be out in the middle when it all happened? That's our interpretation. All he wants is for England to win the game. He said, I just, just wanted to win the game. And there's something a bit cold about that in a way, but there's also something incredibly hot, I think. Mm. Which is <laughs> this is it, a bit, this is taking a turn? That's taking a bit of a turn. The, the 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 thing that really was floating his boat was he wanted to hit a six to go beyond Brendan McCullum, his coach, because yeah. that's been getting. He pointed at his shoulder, said, "God, right on my shoulder." Baz has got the same number of sixes as me in Test cricket. If I go past him, I'm the sixiest player of all time <laughs> in Test cricket, and that was what that was the only thing that was really bugging him about being out there. And I loved that. And his attitude to everything that England does is, well, we've talked about it lots. It's all about being positive. But it's all also about taking all the kind of stories that we like to weave together and mm. all those kind of thoughts and just crystallise the game down into enjoying yourself and winning the game. Yeah. But interestingly, actually, he doesn't want those narrative moments for himself that that you're right he doesn't feel the need to be in the middle of those things and that's a function of two things probably one is he's got his gut full of those things already like when he if he retires tomorrow the highlights reel is full to brimming of moments where ben stokes is in the middle of things so he doesn't he doesn't feel that visceral need to have his moment because he's had it and he's had it again and again and again but he does want those moments for other people. He isn't just cold-hearted in that it doesn't matter, doesn't care how it gets done, just get it done. Because if you, if you look back to the summer, he was looking around the dressing room saying, who's never hit the winning runs in a test match? Who wants to do it? Jimmy, you've never done it, have you? You should do it. So it's not, it's not quite that simple. I think he does, he does value those moments and what they can mean to people but he doesn't value them for himself in a selfish way. He just wants everyone to have them. <laughs> so it, it's maybe a little bit, it's maybe a little bit uh, broader than that. But I mean, it's becoming, it's already old hat to say that this is a impactful, profound captaincy for England because it is still so young, but it's impossible. It's impossible to look at it in any other way. He, he's, reimagined what the England team is capable of. He's reimagined 
what test matches can and should look like. He's doing great work. And he's getting people like Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad to rethink what they think test cricket might be or should be. It's incredible. And he's proving himself. And, and, and again, this is me repeating slightly what I think I've said before. But the man who won the World Cup near enough single-handedly and then produced the best single performance I've ever seen at Headingley in 2019, that's shaping up like being silver medal on the Ben Stokes podium of things he's done for England. And it's crazy because he, his career topped out and peaked at that moment and everyone knew it, except it hasn't. And this could be, this job here could be the thing that we remember him for. It's amazing. And, and I always look at the, the reaction of like Atherton and Hussein, people who've been in the job, worn the blazer. They're open mouthed. They can't believe that someone's come in and done this. I, I sort of can't either. And yet, you know, our, our job, certainly on, on TMS, and to a degree, you know, your job as, as a writer is to analyse what's going on in front of you. And we find ourselves questioning tactics, like we mentioned in the first part, you know, where was Rayan Ahmed for a while, really quite a long while, as, as, as things didn't really change, which was an unusual passage of play, really. Stokes sort of, sort of doing the same thing for quite a while, for like an hour and a half, two hours, variations on it with different seamers, but not trying the leggy. And ask ourselves, you know, what is Stokes up to here? Uh, noticing what can sometimes be characterised as kind of ADHD, in that if something doesn't happen, for three overs, then something has to change. And wondering how a bowler would feel about being asked to come on and just bowl two overs here, quick bowler, you know, come, it's not the spinner that comes on for an over before lunch. It's Mark Wood comes on for an over before lunch. It's all those things have turned upside down. So you're questioning at all times on the basis of everything that you have seen before. And yet, as you do watch what's happening, it's only just slightly tangentially different from orthodoxy isn't it but that ta that being removed ever enough it's like looking through slightly frosted glass bathroom from the 1970s and trying to see what's going on inside although you really shouldn't do that ladies and gentlemen just leave, <laughs> yeah. leave whatever's going on inside to happen inside let, but, <laughs> but you know what i mean we, we, leave people to their bathrooms dad the, I know, really should do. But they're sort of peering through the mist. And we were doing that both metaphorically and actually at times here in Pakistan where it could get a bit misty. And there was a sort of metaphor for that as you go, well, what is he doing here? And yet, actually, it makes sense. It's just that people haven't done that. Because if you start from the premise that you have to power on, you have to get on the front foot, you have to cause chaos in the opposition, you have to do what you don't want them to do, then all these things make sense. It's just that it's so different from the last time England got to number one. England aren't number one yet, but you can mm. genuinely imagine that if England go on playing like this, they would be contenders in Test cricket for that bauble. Mm. Um, the way they got there was actually the mantra of, you know, stick in, bowl dry, three fast bowlers and Graham Swan, partnerships happening, right, well, just deny them a run for the next 23 balls or whatever it was, and yeah. then a wicket will come completely opposite to this and i suppose that's partly why we are struggling with it because it's so not what we're used to and that, and that's it isn't it 
Yeah, but I think I think genuinely my my interpretation of how fans just from anecdotally what they've said to me, I think people have have caught up. I think they were flummoxed in the summer, and the ones who've been tuning into this, they're fully on board. They understand that it's going to be foot to the floor, and they love it. I mean, it could be it could be could do great for the business of cricket, frankly, because this is a product you want to see. Uh, listen, Ben Stokes has also just been nominated for the. The biggest thing in in sport, as we know, because at this time of year, it's already ever people talk about BBC Sports Personality of the Year, and he, and it's not that frequent for a cricketer to be nominated, really, or over the last, I don't know, twenty years, not too many, I don't think. Obviously, Freddie mm. won it, and uh, yeah. we have had winners and we've had nominees. I think Stuart Broad was nominated not too long ago. Ben Stokes, um, obviously, in nineteen, but he's been nominated this time. As a captain, hasn't he? he he's 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 the, he's yep. joined a shortlist of about five, I think, five or six, and it's not because of the outrageous stuff he's done with the bat. It's not because he's bowled teams out. We've got a cricketer nominated for this wider breakthrough glass ceiling kind of award that draws all the eyelids of the world for what he's been doing with bowling changes and batting orders, <laughs> and this, that's quite remarkable, isn't it? He's it's like we talked about in the Raul Pindi that he could have been man of the match for his positive attitude, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, he, yeah. and he's almost now, you know, been, been flagged up by the BBC as one of the top five or six athletes of the year for the same reason. It's incredible. It's, uh, well, it's a great ride to be on. And, uh, and, you know, in the next section, we'll see where it's going to go next. Well, what I love, just last, my last thoughts on that is what I love about it is that I'm always a little bit sceptical or have been about captaincy. I thought, yeah. Great captains, or usually captains of great teams. It's quite rare to find a great captain who doesn't have a great team. Well, dear old Joe Root had much of the same personnel. And, and I think what we're seeing is that this is an alignment between coach and captain. And that mm. there's an alchemy going on here. Brendan McCullum must be given credit for it. And then, by extension, so must Rob Key, you know, talking Absolutely. to Paul Collingwood and, uh, and Brendan McCullum. And I've asked them, you know, what is what is this secret? And if it's a secret, how is it a secret? And if it's not a secret, why hasn't it been done before? And they said, well, it's the freedom we get comes from the top. I said, well, aren't you the top? No, the top, the top is Rob. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we've got to understand that things cascade down. And in days of yore, Clark and Collier and whoever else came next. And at the beginning of this year, there wasn't a CEO, there wasn't a head of cricket, there wasn't a captain, there wasn't a chairman. Uh, and now there are far fewer people, it seems to me, that are really involved in English cricket and it's better mm. for it. And all three of them are on exactly the same page. Four, if you count Collie as well. And it's great to see. Now it is time for our final break. After that, we're going to ask the question, what next? Whether it's missing flights or retirements out of the blue, whether it's resignations or bans, as the old saying goes, there's never a quiet day in West Indies cricket. So make sure you listen to West Indies on 99.94 to stay up to date with all the latest fallout with the teams in Maroon. So... Brendan made it quite clear that we shouldn't be asking the question what next. We should be filling our boots and thoroughly enjoying ourselves. But that's all well and good. 
We can't do that. We're not allowed to do that because we are. Well, he hasn't got. Journalists. He hasn't got a podcast to fill, has he? <laughs> no, as he said, he he said in inverted commas. Now I'm going to bugger off back to New Zealand, drink a load of red wine, and play some golf. Now we don't have that privilege because we, we've got a, we've got work to do. And initially, it's New Zealand for a couple of test matches, then Ireland for a test match, and then the Ashes. Is is the 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 composition of the side in Pakistan obviously going to change a little bit because they won't go in with two spinners, you wouldn't imagine. Johnny Bairstow is going to come back into the reckoning, you would imagine. Maybe if not. If he recovers from his injury. If he recovers from his injury. Mm. Um, Jofra Archer could come back into the reckoning. Those that saw him, Vitushan Hantharaja saw him in the warm-up game and reported great things that he might be really getting back to full fitness. That would allow them to rotate the likes of he and Wood. Stuart Broad would come back into the frame, into a winning side. How do you solve the conundrum at the top of the order in a good way after Crawley and Duckett have done well in this series? I don't really know quite where we start, but let's begin with Bairstow. You said, maybe not, when I said he comes back into the side. What did you mean by that, you heretic? I just meant fitness-wise in the short term. Uh, the, there was a there was a report. I think the Mail had a story uh, that he's unlikely to go to New Zealand. So, at, at the very least, that kicks the conversation forward a little bit because we are we are getting a, a crush of bodies who are all in some quite. I mean, <laughs> Brook and Bearstow have both occupied the five spot and excelled like wildly excelled. So. Uh, even if you get both in the team, you can't get them both at five. That's not. I'm pretty sure that that doesn't work. Two people can't bat in the same position. I've I mean, this this must be this must be the remember. most number of hundreds by by yeah. number five for for yeah, a, for a team in a year, isn't yeah. it? It feels surely, like it must surely. be. So uh, there is a re, there is a rejig to come because Bearstow, for what he did in the summer, uh, it requires to be in the team. He he he, he does not need to be shuffled out. Brooke looks undroppable. I mean, he just looks like he's got to be, strap a rocket to him and let him go. Pope has done, I mean, (laughs) Pope's done well enough, I think, but actually, against the absolute high bar that the others are setting, he maybe isn't, he maybe isn't quite, quite at that really high bar, but for a player of that promise... It's the tricky number three yeah. spot, though. Don't forget that England have not been able to fill that number three slot. Yeah. Under McCullum and Stokes, he's averaging over 50 at three. So C- co- Correct. Uh, what listen, do you want? What do you with want? His, no, with his talent and promise, you don't want to give him a knock at this stage when he's done so well. It is getting hard. I mean, I was of the opinion that Duckett had done so well, but in such specific circumstances that he was droppable because he played so many sweeps and played the spin so adeptly that you couldn't necessarily see how that was going to translate. But, I mean, he's done so well. It, again, it would feel harsh. You almost feel like he's earned the right to have a go and, and fail, maybe, in different conditions. But in, in fairness, Rory, he, he swept spinners because that's how he plays spinners. That doesn't mean that yeah, he can't that, play yeah, quicker bowlers. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, but, I mean, you can, you can say... You can look and say, where did he score the vast majority of his runs? How did he score it? And is that how he's going to score it in New Zealand and England? Probably, I mean, against against Australia, 
in the ashes, it's going to be different. But you'd be a harsh, a harsh judge to say he hasn't earned the right to answer the question on his own right, you know, by by doing it. But somebody, something's got to give, and I don't know what it is. I mean, nobody, I suppose nobody expected Bearstow to fall over a, a golf course and break his leg in three places. And you're always better to have in-form cricketers available to you because you never know what's going to happen. And with England's schedule, they do need cricketers. <laughs> but wh- who, where, the, where the first 11 starts? I'd love to... For the first time in a while, it feels like you could get a few different answers to that question and not because you were scrabbling around looking for people to fill the spots. Well, we're, we're not going to take too long on this because we're nearly at the end of our time, but a couple of things that feel to me like nailed on certainties in the bowling department because the batting situation is really sort of one uncertainty, I, I would say. You know, Root, Stokes, Brook, absolutely nailed on. Best if he comes back. Then it's do they stick with folks who's incidentally made four crucial contributions yeah. in seven matches and been yeah. mustered with the gloves? He was brilliant in this match. You barely noticed him. He took catches so well that no one really thought that he'd edged it. The batter had edged it. You know, he was that good. So it's really going to be about how they juggle getting Bearstow back in and whether Brook goes up to open or someone else goes up to open potentially or whether they go with Bearstow in to replace folks. But with the bowling... Ollie Robinson feels like he is an absolute must-win fit, uh, especially mm. in English conditions, but he bowled so well out here in Pakistan, which did not help Pakistan seamers, but it did seem to be okay for Robinson. Jimmy Anderson as well. Um, might be his last series, might not. He's not indicated anything of the sort. He feels he's fitter than ever. He's learning more and more tricks. Looks he like gave me gold. an interview in the, in the lunchtime on the first day of the final test when, for all the world, it might have been a 28-year-old planning for the next five years. So him, on the, in the form of his life, it has to be said, you would imagine those two are in. Then it's about composition of the side. Will they always pick a spinner? Much will depend on Stokes's fitness. And then it's going to depend on the fitness, I think, of Wood and Archer and how they manage those two. And that's going to be something that we always have to keep our eye on because Wood is such a fragile little poppet. Mm. And Joffre Archer is an aspiration, it feels, in some ways. But Fatushna Hantharaja has, has given me hope that it's more than an aspiration. He's coming round the mountain, Rory. So for, Probably for the Ashes, though, right? I think he maybe will go to South Africa yeah. first, right? Oh, yeah. And then he won't, he won't do New Zealand. Yes, yes, yes. I don't, I don't yeah. see him playing test cooking in New Zealand, yeah. especially as, as there are some fairly horrible memories of playing. Yeah. Well, exactly, yeah, that's precisely right. He'll get, he'll, he'll get sort of uh, aftershock, won't he, from that? But... Listen, yeah. just quickly, the other one is, do you think um, do you think Rian Ahmed is a chance to dislodge Jack Leach as first-choice spinner? Um, I do, depending on the on where they're playing. Uh, and because of England's tail. And England did have a problem with the composition of their tail with Robinson coming in at eight. Uh, mm. I know the management have a lot of faith in his ability as a batter, but he's not always shown it. He showed glimpses of it on this tour a couple of times. He also showed glimpses of magnificent oddity the, the crazy shot he played to get out when um, when Harry Brook was at the other end on 100 and something not out in the second test but that's by the by so I think that with batting being such an important string in Ahmed's bow Rahan's bow I think they might be tempted but they're also very very loyal so these are problems mm. for them to decide and the thing is whatever decision they make the thing about this management is 
It always seems to work. So I think, <laughs> at least in this phase of this remarkable partnership, I am. It's not great for a pundit, but I am going to sit back and watch. <laughs> Which, like I say, we're supposed to have opinions, aren't we? I'm going to be a bit <laughs> reactive. I think to this side. I think anyway, I think Real Ahmed plays some part in the Ashes. I can see it I happening. Think, I think they'll decide that they have to throw that weapon at Australia. And and it feels like, you know, as you say, I don't think he necessarily becomes an all all man for all seasons, plays every game everywhere. But I think they will unload him on Australia in the ashes because it's like chucking a smoke bomb and shutting the door and see yeah. what happens. And you're dead right. And that's the chaos. That's the chaos theory of this magnificent England team at the moment. It's time for us to go. We'll be back. I think we might do. A year wrap-up, perhaps, before Christmas, before everybody goes off to their festivities and takes it easy. Um, I'm leaving Karachi tomorrow, a day early. Very sad. I've had an absolutely wonderful time in Pakistan. People here have been very kind and very generous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss all that as I go back to the cold of the United Kingdom, although I hear it's warmed up a little bit. But for me, well, there's big bash commentaries to look forward to. And if I get one as thrilling as Sydney Thunder being bowled out for 15, I can be home extremely early. <laughs> Fingers crossed for that. Um, Rory, you all lined up and geared up for Christmas? Yeah, all good. Yeah, I'll be. I'll finally be getting back on the road. I'm going to New Zealand for those games. So I will be, uh, well, I'll be checking in with you from there. We'll try and make that work. God knows how uh, <laughs> that's going to work. a bad but... time zone. But yeah. I look, yeah. But I look forward to to checking back in and uh, and seeing it with my own eyes because these guys are, uh, I don't know, they're making it work. It's a feast, I tell you. It's an absolute feast. Thanks for listening to England Cricket on ninety nine point nine four, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the ninety nine point nine four app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket. In my case, and in your case, Rory. At the RVD. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 